is The Conversation on Hawaii Public Radio. I'm Catherine Cruz. You know, we just heard this morning from President Joe Biden about the soaring cases of the COVID-19 Omicron variant. It's now the dominant strain in our country. We heard from the governor and state health director last week about the growing concern, but East-West Center epidemiologist Tim Brown doesn't think that news conference was enough. He thinks state officials have fallen short in conveying a sense of urgency about how our, our health systems could once again be overwhelmed like we saw back in July and August. So the worst may not be over, even though many people have been vaccinated and boosted. Here's Brown to explain more about why he doesn't care if people call him the Grinch for warning not to let their guard down and to limit holiday gatherings. In reality, this is exactly what we've seen with Omicron in the United Kingdom. I mean, London saw exactly the same straight up pattern that we've seen. Denmark has seen this, the Netherlands, Norway, Belgium. So, you know, country after country, when Omicron makes entry and starts spreading, we see this sort of just vertical rise takeoff. I mean, it's, it's, it's just like the pilots practicing off Waikiki and doing vertical climbs. I mean, that's basically what's going on with our COVID numbers right now. And is there anything that you can share with us just on the symptoms that are different and how different it is from Delta? The only primary difference so far in the symptoms seems to be more that there is less loss of sense and smell with this one, a little less fever, but otherwise, you know, basically the symptoms of a common cold or a flu, so nothing that radically distinguishes it from the other respiratory pathogens that are out there. As with previous variants, there is the possibility of asymptomatic infection where you could have it and still be shedding it without having any symptoms whatsoever. You may have very mild symptoms, for example, sniffles or a runny nose, and that may be the indication that you have it. That may be all you have. Especially now that more people are vaccinated, we're probably going to see more of that sort of asymptomatic or relatively mild sort of illness, but it's still COVID and it still can be spread uh, very seriously, even with those relatively mild symptoms. The risk of the unvaccinated right now is extremely high because this one is basically putting Delta to shame in terms of spreading through the population, as we've seen. I mean, if you actually compare the current surge in the last week on Oahu with the surge back in July, you'll find this one is practically straight up compared to July. July was more of a gradual climb. This one is just shooting very, very rapidly upward. I mean, we had 840 cases today, and remember, that's a weekend number. That's the number from Saturday, where normally on the weekends we tend to get lower numbers. So... I expect another, quote, low number, you know, probably in the 800s or something, and then it will probably start to go up again after that as we get into the Monday number. Are you going to do anything different? I'm already taking all the steps necessary to protect myself. I mean, I've been boosted, and anybody who has not been boosted should absolutely get boosted. One of the things we know about Omicron is that your protection against infection decreases very substantially with Omicron. Your vaccines are no longer as protective as they used to be. If you only have the two doses, you only get about 35% protection against infection. If you have all three doses, that is, you're boosted, you get up to about 75% protection based on the limited studies have been done so far. 
but that means it's really important for people to get boosted to protect against infection. Now, fortunately, the protection against illness seems to be holding up very, very well, uh, so that that does not seem to be declining very much with Omicron. So we are seeing, you know, generally people who are vaccinated, even double-dosed, are still getting relatively mild cases. But if we hope to have an impact on interrupting transmission, it's really important that people get boosted. And so I really strongly recommend people do that. The other precaution I take is I use high-quality masks. I would strongly recommend that people throw away the bandanas and the cloth mask and get yourself some N95s or KN95s. That is high-quality masks. If you can't get those, then basically double mask. Put a uh, surgical mask and then put a cloth mask over that to hold it and, and bring it more tightly to your face. Unless we up our masking, this one is that much more contagious. That poorly fitted mask and getting too close to somebody when you're wearing a bad mask or an ineffective mask is probably enough to get you infected. So we've got, got to have people be very, very cautious and up their masking game very substantially. I think, you know, avoiding crowded places, restaurants, any large crowds, nightclubs, bars, absolutely. I mean, you should not be going to those places right now with Omicron out there and the kind of numbers that we're seeing in the community. And I realize that's not a message a lot of business owners want to hear right now, especially during the Christmas season. But from a public health perspective, I think it's absolutely essential at this point that people stop exposing themselves to other people without masks in, in crowded spaces. It's just too dangerous right now with Omicron out there. I would also recommend that people use rapid tests. You know, if you're going to get together with people, you know, you should use a rapid test immediately before you enter the group because that can help to prevent you from bringing an infection into the group. And if everybody does that, it will protect the group as a whole. So those are the kinds of things that, you know, I, I tend to do when I'm basically trying to protect myself. And there are so many people that are going to be traveling, you know, in this next week or two. I worry for them. And I worry for the kids. Uh, you know, we, since we last talked, I think, you know, the the kids are, you know, between 5 and, and 12 are now, you know, allowed to be vaccinated. But I worry for the ones under 5. Yeah, the ones under 5 and the vaccine, unfortunately, there is probably going to be delayed. I don't know if you saw the results last week, but they found that they were getting a suboptimal response in the kids, I believe, between about 2 and 4. Uh, the vaccine did not seem to be generating much of an immune response in them, so they're I think they're upping the doses and they're basically reorganizing the pilot testing so that they're going to gather more data over the next couple of months. So that one is probably still a ways off, I'm afraid. And so the risk, though, is just much higher for those who are unvaccinated, the, the, the babies, the, the, the children under five, and the, the folks that are just immune compromised. Absolutely. And, and well, or, or anybody who is unvaccinated or even, frankly, for those who are vaccinated who are either elderly where our immune response will tend to wane over time, and, and that can be an issue and can allow us to get infected, which is why our deaths continue to be in people over 60. Two-thirds of all the deaths in Hawaii have been in people over age 60. So if you're elderly and you're not taking steps to protect yourself, even if you get a breakthrough infection, there is some possibility of serious illness. It's greatly reduced. But nonetheless, remember, two-thirds of our deaths are still occurring in people over 60. So I think that that's very important to keep in mind. And if you have elderly family members, Kapuna, at home, then you really ought to be thinking twice about your own risk level and about bringing it home to them. Because I think that's a, a really important consideration. We really need to be thinking about others in terms of protecting ourselves is basically to protect others from getting infected by us. And I think that's a, a really critically important part of trying to stop Omicron.
as I saw the number soar last week, you know, I just started to wonder about, gosh, do I really need to go Christmas shopping? You know, that kind of thing. Exactly. I, I think, you know, people should think twice right now about going, you know, especially this time of year when the shops are all likely to be very, very crowded. That's a dangerous setting. You know, I know from personal experience, you know, people are also getting very sloppy about their masking and what they're doing. Go to the supermarket when it's crowded and you'll see a lot of people with their mask down below their nose. You know, sometimes the mask is hanging off one ear. Uh, those people are dangerous, quite frankly, because they could be spreading and shedding virus in that supermarket the entire time that they have that mask improperly worn. And masking is actually more about protecting others from you than it is protecting you from others. Because the primary goal of masking is actually to keep people who are infected from spreading the virus around to others. And that's why the combination of masking plus social distancing is so effective, because if you're masked, Whatever virus you put out, even if some escapes from the mask, is going to generally stay fairly close to you. Whereas if you're not masked, you know, one cough, one sneeze, or even talking loudly basically can spread the virus across the room. So I think that uh, we really need to get people to be much more serious about their masking, and we need stores to enforce masking rules. If they see people not wearing masks properly, they should ask them to leave. But we have very little enforcement of any of our rules here. I'm worried. Uh, you know, I mean, we are on a straight-up trajectory right now. I don't anticipate that slowing down in the next several days. We're probably going to keep on that straight-up trajectory, which means within two days we will exceed the peak that we had in uh, July based on, you know, seven-day averages. Our seven-day average is already over 500 at this point, and it shows no sign of slowing down whatsoever. I mean, I, I plot that up every day, so I know exactly what it looks like. We are still very much in an exponential rise of cases. And so I anticipate this will continue. You know, we're, we're probably going to be exceeding 1,000 cases within a couple of days. Probably when we get the Monday number, which will come in on Wednesday, I think we'll probably bust 1,000 at that point. And we're going right into Christmas basically with that, which means there's a lot of active virus in the community. A lot of people are still going to parties, still going to nightclubs, and that's a real risk right now. I mean, we've already seen two major outbreaks in nightclubs, you know, one cluster of 27 out of the nightclub downtown, another cluster of 30 announced yesterday. And those that we've detected are probably the tip of the iceberg from those places. I'm hearing more also about workplace infections. Again, I think, you know, people are getting more careless in the workplaces. You know, this the mistaken assumption that if you're vaccinated, you don't have to wear a mask anymore. And honestly, that has been a mistaken assumption from the first time that CDC announced it back in May. It was always incorrect right from the start of the epidemic. CDC was wrong on that. Uh, with Omicron, it's even worse. You know, basically, if you're going into a room with somebody without a mask, even if you're vaccinated at this point, if you're doubly vaxxed, your chances of getting infected are pretty high. And so if people are, for example, doing workplace gatherings and getting together over the lunch table, where everybody's taking their mask off and eating, yes, I could easily see workplace transmission occurring like that. Okay. If you've got people in an open office area where they're taking their mask off while they work at the desk and, you know, there's not good ventilation in the room, yes, the, the virus can build up very quickly in those settings. So, again, I think, you know, work from home, has, if it's possible, should be a strong recommendation to all businesses where that is feasible because right now Omicron is just, you know, honestly, at this point, it's far more transmissible than what we were seeing with Delta. 
And Delta is already a major step up from the previous version. You know, if you thought Delta was bad, Omicron is worse. I'm worried. You know, we have very limited hospital capacity on this island. We are currently already not too far away from that peak capacity. I mean, the last number I saw for hospitalizations here was we were at like 2275, I think. And we only have 2,400 beds in the islands. So we've only got like 125 beds left. And Josh Green himself just announced me, I think we had 41 hospitalizations for COVID on Friday. That's up to 58. And we are literally just at the beginning of this surge. I mean, you see what the numbers are doing right now, what they've done in the last four days. Mm-hmm. So those, those numbers will not end up in the hospital for another probably two weeks. I think every model has completely missed the mark on COVID virtually from day one. I mean, the problem with COVID in terms of modeling is that what happens with COVID is predicated by two things. One, the properties of the virus, which keep changing. You know, we had a complete change from alpha to delta to Omicron. And a complete change in terms of how transmissible they are, a complete change with Omicron in terms of how easily it can escape our vaccines. And that completely has to be altered in the models, basically, for them to have any relevance whatsoever. And the second problem with modeling COVID is that it depends on human behaviors. And it's very, very difficult, actually, to characterize, for example, how well are people avoiding crowded places? How are people actually using masks? Are they using them properly? Are they using them effectively? What fraction of people are actually using them? You know, are they using them in all settings? Because, you know, very often in social settings and so on, people stop wearing masks. And frankly, right now, I honestly would not consider going to an unmasked gathering at all. But I would recommend to anybody who is going to an unmasked gathering, everybody should be rapid tested at the door. Not one or two days before, they should be rapid tested at the door. Because that will determine whether they're infectious at that point in time or not. And if they test positive, they should not be allowed into the room. That's what I would recommend for people for their holiday gatherings. If you can get your hands on rapid tests, use them at the door. So if everybody comes in, they have to take a rapid test. They go wait outside for 15 minutes until the result is in. If they're negative, they're allowed in. But even then, again, I'm going to recommend if you're holding holiday gatherings, do them outdoors. The problem I've got and what I'm really worried about is the fact that our leaders have been so silent on this means that the public is not aware of the urgency and the severity of the situation that we're facing right now. I think a lot of the public is going around, yeah, oh, high numbers, that's too bad. But they don't understand what this potentially means in terms of what's going to happen to our hospitals in several weeks, what's happening in the community in terms of how rapidly this is spreading and how many people it's going to infect. And yes, I do worry about that 28% of our population that is still not vaccinated. This one will probably seek them out and find them. And, you know, a lot of them are children who will generally probably have mild illness. Although, again, with Omicron, the preliminary indications out of South Africa are that we are seeing more serious illness among children than we saw with the previous variant. It's still comparatively low, but it's more than we saw before. So, again, we do have to worry about the children. And we also have to worry about especially those adults who are not vaccinated at this point. That was East-West Center epidemiologist Tim Brown, who we talked to yesterday afternoon. He was issuing a word of warning about the fast-moving Omicron variant. He says, brace yourselves for daily counts to hit 1,000. Brown is taking part in a webinar today starting at noon. You can hear more of his talk and ask questions. Just head to the East-West Center website to register.
our Honolulu Civil Beat reality check looks at the latest COVID forecast by a group of epidemiologists. Reporter Marcel Henri joins us today. Good morning, Marcel. Morning, Catherine. So uh, what what can you tell us? Uh, I know that the, 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 those new numbers came out late yesterday. Yeah, kind of piggybacking off of what the previous guest was just saying. Um, this is a new report out by the Hawaii Pandemic Applied Modeling Working Group. This is a voluntary group. It consists of Hawaii-based uh, professors, mathematicians, data scientists, epidemiologists uh, that are always, they're, they're just kind of constantly working to model and forecast what we might see. Uh, they had just put out a report last week expecting to see as many as 500 daily new cases by the new year. And as uh, many of your listeners probably already know, we have blown past that in the past week or so. Seeing, you know, today it was just over 700, and we've been seeing 800 new cases, uh, upwards of 1,000 daily. So we very swiftly blew past that modeling and that forecast. They quickly updated their forecast, um, and they are now predicting that by New Year's Day, which is, you know, about 10 days from now, we could see anywhere between 2,000 and 15,000 new local COVID cases on the island of Oahu alone. And furthermore, we could also see anywhere between 90 and 800 COVID hospitalizations at the same point in time by New Year's Day. So this is a sobering new report from that group. And you did talk to someone from uh, that uh, modeling group. I mean, I put a call out because I was scratching my head over the numbers uh, and then they saw that, that they updated. But uh, what did they tell you? Yeah, so um, I had a chance to speak with Monica Chaiba yesterday, who's a UH mathematics professor. Um, basically, what, what she had to say was, you know, that she stressed that the point is to warn our local population, not so much for them to be to be right and to hit this right on target, uh, but really to kind of put this forecast out there and and change people's behaviors as much as we can to avoid some of the, the worst case scenarios that are, are forecast in this model. Uh, now, there is a wide range in these numbers. You know, you're saying anywhere between 2,000 and 15,000. Um, a lot of this is based in, on, the, on Omicron and how it's just fueling this latest uh, spike and this latest surge. They said that they would be able to provide a more precise uh, uh, modeling, a more precise forecast if the, if the Department of Health were to provide better details and data on how many of these new emerging cases are in vaccinated patients and furthermore, how many of the hospitalizations that we're seeing right now are vaccinated patients. So if they had that information, they would probably be able to tighten up that range that they're offering pretty considerably. Well, we have heard that criticism that DOH is just slow in releasing the numbers and that the numbers, you know, aren't uh, always uh, timely in order for us to take action. Yeah, it's really hard to say. I mean, we are getting daily counts and, you know, positivity rate and seven-day averages and and all of that. Uh, But, yeah, we are still looking for, for more details for sure. I mean, just yesterday, DOH announced that so far, they have detected 50, 50 cases of Omicron. Uh, all of those, except for one, for sure, on the island of Oahu. And the last one, they're still trying to investigate and determine. But, you know, we've seen 
hundreds and hundreds of new cases in the last week. And nationwide, I believe the report is about 75 percent of all new cases are Omicron. So how we reconcile the 50 detected with the hundreds and hundreds of local new cases, that's what we're we're still trying to, to figure out. And there's still questions, you know, that we're asking uh, from from our vantage point as, as journalists. And, and we are still trying to get more info. on that. Yeah, because it doesn't compute. And then right. you also uh, talked to Hilton Rathol with the Healthcare Association. Yeah, this is the president and CEO of our local healthcare association, and you know he he validated. He said, "Sure, what what the what high Pam, what this group is putting out, it is it is legit. Their model and their forecasts are legit. Uh, you know whether we see that play out will be determined. But what he said for sure is that if we saw 800 hospitalizations uh, even across the island, all of the islands, let alone Oahu, I mean that would be catastrophic for this state." At the peak of Delta, back on September 10th, we had 404 COVID hospitalizations among all the other, you know, uh, there were, I, I believe, about 2,000-plus more hospitalizations at that point. Um, they, had to, they had to bring in 700 staffers funded by FEMA to, uh, to you know, handle the, the stress and the management of all those additional cases. That's with 400 and, you know, worst case scenario by New Year's Day, again, 10 days from now, they're saying you could see upwards of 800, depending on, on what happens. And yeah, we that's should do whatever we can to curb that. So, yeah, well, yeah. We, we'll be uh, talking with Hilton tomorrow, so we'll learn more. But thanks so much, Marcel. Sure thing. Thanks, Catherine. That was reporter Marcel on Ray with today's Reality Check. Read the story online at civilbeat.org. This is The Conversation on statewide member-supported Hawaii Public Radio. Now it's time for your backyard quiz. Christmas is just around the corner, and we've been thumbing through our playlists. And last week, we asked you about the vintage Hawaiian classic Melikilikimaka, penned by Robert Alex Anderson, becoming a worldwide hit covered by different artists and showing up in films for decades. But that's not what we want to test you on. Instead, our turntable spinning the local favorite number one Christmas, uh, number one day of Christmas based on the 12 days of Christmas. As the story goes, three friends were hanging out in the living room of a Diamond Head home when the idea to write a Christmas song hit them. Fueled by a meal from Hee Hing Chop Suey, the trio hammered out the song that we all know and love in about 15 minutes. For today's quiz, can you name at least one of these buddies who drew inspiration from local culture to create a classic ode to Tutu? Bonus points if you know what was given on the 12th day. Call 808-941-3689 or 877-941-3689 if you know the answer. The first one to get it right gets a reusable tote bag that tells people you got it right. Support for HPR comes from the Honolulu Museum of Art, committed to offering the community inspiration and learning through art and education. Learn more about gift memberships at honolulumuseum.org slash join dash give. 
HPR is seeking a creative and strategic thinker to join the team as our Director of Marketing and Communications. If you are experienced in developing marketing and brand strategies, if you have a way with words and a deep understanding of digital communications, if you're a multitasker and a people person who's passionate about public radio, then we want to hear from you. For more details and how to apply, head to hawaiipublicradio.org slash jobs. Support for Hawaii Public Radio comes from Hawaii State Art Museum, presenting The Vibe, Jazz Nights at High Sam, a monthly jazz series, the second Thursday of the month from 6 to 9 p.m. hisam.hawaii.gov. As our petroleum-tainted water crisis began to unfold, we heard from military spouses, some who were afraid to use their names because of uh, retaliation from their command for speaking to the media. One mother of three told us that they're in a hotel now, but she is worried about being in Waikiki with the spike in COVID cases here on Oahu. The positivity rate doubled to 6% this week. It's up to 9% to, uh, for Oahu today. And unless people pull back on their activities, some warn it could get worse for those who have not yet been vaccinated or who can't get vaccinated. Another mom of a three-month-old baby who we talked to is also in Waikiki now, but it's not a postcard picture in paradise by a long shot. She's grateful to have some place to go for clean water, but she's still uncomfortable with us using her name. She spoke to us to give us an idea of what it's been like shuttling back and forth between two places during the holiday traffic. Well, I mean, it takes us about 30 minutes to get down there, you know, with no traffic. <laughs> with traffic, you know, sometimes it takes us about an hour and a half to get home. And then we have our dogs, so we have to go back and forth. And one of my dogs can't walk. Um, so if not, we would just stay down there. But it's been kind of a pain in the butt going back and forth. So you're really just going there to take showers, that kind of thing, to clean? Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean, we, we've stayed down there a couple of nights, um, but it's just easier to just stay up here um, in our home. But I, I don't know what risks there are for that, too. You know, I don't know if there's any sort of fumes or anything in my house. But, yeah, <laughs> just going down there to shower, uh, wash bottles, and then uh, oh, we wash. We can wash clothes at, like, Fort Shafter or um, MCBH, but... It's just, it's far to go all the way over. I mean, it's far to go down to Waikiki, too. But we, we did it at the hotel, and it cost us, like, $20 to do two loads. So it might sound great to people on the outside, oh, you get a staycation in Waikiki, but uh, not really. It's kind of stressful. It's definitely not a staycation. It's more just the access to clean water. With the COVID counts rising, you know, there is com some concern. You know, you've got, you know, larger crowds maybe down there in Waikiki that you would just normally circulate around if you just lived in your own neighborhood. Yeah, and a lot of the tourists, you know, they come from states probably that don't really have very strict mask restrictions, and they're down there without a mask on. <laughs> And I'm over there with my baby, and I'm just, I want them to kind of keep their distance, but I have to ride in the elevator with them. And my daughter actually got RSV. Um, what is that? Well, this past week. What is RSV? Um, it's, a, it's a virus that causes, it's like a respiratory virus. I don't know if it's correlated with us. I mean, I'm sure it has to do with us being out of the house a lot more than usual, because usually I just stay home. I don't, I don't really like going out too much except for when I need, 
you know, to buy food or whatever I need for the house or for my daughter. Your daughter is is tiny still. I mean, I, when I ran into you at mm-hmm. the uh, town hall meeting there with the Navy secretary, I mean, she's little. Yeah, yeah, she, she's tiny. Um, she was in the hospital on oxygen, so that was that was scary. <laughs> but I'm pretty sure it had to do with us just being out and about. I maybe might have touched something, or maybe she touched something, and then, you know, she likes to put her hands in her mouth a lot. And, uh, you know, we were at that town hall, and it kind of made me feel guilty <laughs> that we went because uh, – I, I don't know if you heard while we were there, the, one of the people asking the question said, oh, the lady next to me, she, she had to leave. And then she said, oh, what would happen if somebody at home had COVID? And I was like, wait, <laughs> did the person here, you know, ha, ha, uh, are they at home with somebody with COVID? And then they came here. And I was like, oh, my goodness. <laughs> it's just scary time. Yeah, I did wonder about that, too. Uh, at that meeting when that mm-hmm. person brought that up what do you do because you know it's one thing just to be without water in your home but without clean water in your home during covid is a whole nother matter yeah i mean it's it's hard to just use the like the jugs of water and clean everything you need and you went to that meeting because you were con- uh, concerned as a nursing mom there were many other moms there you know that had that same concern. The Navy Secretary said that he was going to be in contact with the uh, U.S. Surgeon General to see they could start up some programs to monitor pregnant women and nursing mothers just because there was so much uncertainty around what was in the water. Yes. I mean, we wanted to ask questions. We didn't get a chance to. My daughter started getting fussy. We had to feed her, so we had to leave. But yeah, he said he was going to set up a hotline. I saw I saw it on Facebook because that there was a hotline you could call, but I don't really know if if that was meant for the tracking. That I guess that was the the question about it. If they were going to set up a hotline to kind of know like who was affected by it, that was pregnant or nursing. You still have lots of questions right. about how this is all supposed to work. Mm-hmm. But I I got a call from I think she was a lieutenant, and she really couldn't give me any answers because I had called his office. Um, because I, I hadn't heard anything at the time. Yeah, you wanted to follow up. And, yeah, I wanted to follow up. She just told me that, you know, she couldn't really tell me much, that if I felt like I should discard all the plastics that I should. Um, but, you know, she didn't really have an answer for me. For our listeners, you were concerned about any petroleum affecting the plastics that you use with your breastfeeding pump, that kind of thing. Yes, and all of her bottles, because they're all plastic, too, and all of the the brushes that I use to clean her stuff and the drying racks that, that I use. I replaced everything, and it, it adds up. You've been in contact with your pediatrician. I mean, you know, what, what are they telling you? They told me that I should just boil everything and that that should be enough, but I, I didn't feel like that was enough. <laughs> I didn't trust that, so I just went ahead and bought it you know, all new stuff. At the hotel that you're at, uh, have you been able to chat with any of the other families? I don't really run into anybody with children when I'm down there. It might just be because we go there and then just quickly leave. (laughs) We just, you know, we take the elevator up to the room, go into the room, and then just go right back into our car and leave. Mm -hmm. Yeah, so it's not like you're lounging on the beach or anything like that. Oh, we haven't gone to the beach at all. (laughs) Uh, Actually, I was telling my husband, I'm like, we should maybe take advantage of, you know, being here. We're, we're beachfront, 
we haven't gone to the beach at all. You know, one other family I talked to uh, was worried because they were expecting relatives to come for the holidays, and then they were going to be upended from their home, you know, in a hotel, and they weren't sure if their family could get hotels at this time. Oh, yeah, and that's probably super expensive, too, if they even have availability, because the other day they were telling us that we might have had to get moved. They ended up extending us, but, you know, I had to pack up the whole room, and I was ready to go. Into, I think it was the Sheraton that they were moving us all into. And what hotel are you at now? The Outrigger. And so what are your plans for Christmas? How are you going to straddle both places? Do you have a plan? Probably just do what I do every day. <laughs> uh, you know, uh, get a, pack everything up, go to the hotel, wash everything, take a shower, come back. Hopefully my husband's off that day. And, you know, just spend time t- together. <laughs> I know this is uh, probably a rough time because I think what you, you mentioned your husband was about to be deployed as well. I'm scared um, because I know that a lot of the TLA stuff, it's um, he has to be the one to submit it. And once he's gone, I don't really know how that's all going to work for me. I have power of attorney, but I'm not really sure how that's all going to work. I guess he'll have to speak with his command and see you know, what's going to happen after he leaves. And uh, uh, have you talked to any other families who have spouses deployed and, you know, what that's like? One of the girls that lives in my neighborhood, her husband was underway, uh, which is like when they're just, uh, they're gone for a certain amount of time, but not actually on the deployment. And she, she had, I think she had to wait till he got back. And then they're going to do a back pay of, of just her because they're going to do a partial um, but she couldn't get into a hotel. She had to stay home because of, because he wasn't here. So when you say partial, a partial, the TLA, the uh, travel lodging assistance, on that you mean? Well, because she's, yeah, because she's home, they're going to do just per diem. We're just trying to hang in there the best we can. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, and just, you know, trying to at least be happy that we're all together as a family, you know, like nothing serious happened to us. I know other people have had different experiences with this. So at least we're fortunate and, you know, not being too severely affected by it other than just being very inconvenienced and hopefully, hopefully just inconvenienced with not having water and not anything medical. That was a military wife who we spoke to at the start of this crisis dealing with petroleum-contaminated water. We checked in with her today. So she's trying to stay positive but still has lots of unanswered questions. Her family will have access to the hotel room until just after the new year. And she just got notice that her neighborhood's water system will begin to get flushed sometime in January. Support for Hawaii Public Radio comes from the Scheidler College of Business at UH Manoa, offering the executive MBA, scheidler.hawaii.edu. Long-term rentals near national parks are harder to come by. What we're against is getting it overran and then us, you know, having no options because, you know, people want to just cash in. It's not fair to people that have been here for their whole lives. 
I'm Amy Scott. Locals getting priced out next time on Marketplace. Beginning this evening at 6, following All Things Considered. Support for Hawaii Public Radio comes from Hawaii Care Choices in Hilo, offering palliative, hospice, and bereavement care since 1983, now hiring health care and administrative professionals. Application at hawaiicarechoices.org. If you've been to the Daniel K. Inouye International Airport recently, you've probably seen the new five-story consolidated rent-a-car facility, what some people call the Conrack. Well, it's also the latest site of a new art piece, a boldly-hued immersive glass installation. It's the work of Kaloa painter and glass artist Carol Bennett. She has more than 100 large-scale art pieces under her belt, ranging from public art to corporate commissions. HPR's Lillian Song sat down with Bennett to talk innovative processes that she utilizes in the design of the 20 glass totems that make up what she named Apua'a Lolima. In my design, we talked about using a variety of processes and a variety of materials. I used paper punches. I drew circles with, you know how an Elmer's glue pours out of a bottle when you squeeze it and you can never make it stop. It always leaves a little tail. I made circles with puddles of Elmer's glue, and it took about a week for them to dry, and then I peeled them off and used them, those circles, to make my fish kale shapes. And then I carved linoleum and stamped copper patterns. And then I dragged home this huge, heavy net from a holoku and painted clear photo emulsion on a 4 by 5 piece of wood. And so... In the painting is a photogram of that net because I wanted to say the overall airport depicts the Ahupua'a, but I couldn't tell you every single thing there is to know about the Ahupua'a because that's too much. So I selected certain motifs to carry, like saying, talking about the ocean. And so I have my solar photogram net, and then I have tea leaves that I inked up and then stamped on a piece of paper and I lifted it away and it left that tea leaf shape and then I put a circle on the end of it so it made the tea leaf become a fish because the circle became the fish's eye. And so I think that that's fun and I think that art can make its statement, but it can also be fun. It doesn't have to be serious. And I wanted this to be extremely celebratory and vivacious. I don't use loud colors in my paintings, but glass begs to be pure, unadulterated color. I have found from being lucky enough to go to Germany and work at the Glass Mall Array, it's like a an expose of the history of stained glass because they have all these huge cathedral windows. So that's kind of like the art history for stained glass. And then they have 
very modern, hip, and contemporary projects that are going on. There is a Gerhard Richter being created when I was there. And so I love that mix of the old and the new. The Ahupua'a is an ancient system of a cultural and geographic land parceling, parceling out pieces of land that go from the mountain to the sea. But I wanted to depict that ancient system. Nature is ancient <laughs> and very in the moment, too, in a very contemporary way. You had mentioned that you had actually proposed a project for art in public spaces. And then were you in Germany when it came to you that you had to revamp? Oh, no, no, because by the time you get to Germany, it's like you're ready to build a big high-rise. You show up with your blueprint, and that blueprint is everyone's marching orders. So mm. there are little nuances that I could and do adjust, like, oh, this should be transparent instead of opaque, or this should be a lighter blue or darker blue, but it is set in stone by the time I go to Germany. When I revamped the architects, you know, you, you present your design and you compete. And so my design won. You know, I got to do it. Yeah. But then the engineers, there are physical restraints. You know, the, the Conrad building is a 12-acre building, and there are escalators and elevators and, you know, just considerations that weren't my considerations. So there are 20 totems, 20 long thin panels that come together to make this. And the number changed a couple times. Maybe it's 18. or oh, no, they're taller or they're shorter. So every time, it's not like a piece of fabric where you just cut it to fit. Form follows function. And so I can't just cut my design to fit the new format. So I sat down to redesign. But I, um, three years after I was awarded the commission because of, you know, political things that were going on. And so I had made a trip to Germany, and I had changed the way I thought about glass. And so I just looked at my original design. I haven't seen it for six years this morning. And I looked at it, and I'm like, yes, I am nothing if not thorough. <laughs> and my original design is a nice design, and it is about the Ahupua'a, but it would have been better for print for a magazine because the colors are more sedate. And when I knew I wanted to use bigger, brighter, bolder colors, I felt like my graphics had to step up to the plate as well with a completely bold, confident attitude. And so my approach was, even if this thing is two stories tall, even if it's 90 feet long, I was going to design so as if the format wasn't big enough for my art. And so if I'm saying a Lawai fern, I don't have to give you the whole Lawai fern. I could just come in on a section of it and have the polka dots, the spores, a piece of it, because that lets you imagine the rest of it. So, Carol, I am looking at that shot of you standing in front of, I'm going to say, four of these panels. But you're saying it was a pretty big project, so about 20 totems of these panels, three panels up. 
the scale two-story building high? Well, you see, um, you see how within the totem is a ladder-like structure. Mm-hmm. So each one of those pukas in the ladder holds a sheet of glass that's approximately five feet by maybe eight feet, and there are forty-eight of those. So I think what you're looking at is maybe an eighth of the project. And I'll tell you something, Lillian. So I did my study, and I competed. And then I redid my study, and I presented that to State Foundation. And they said, wow, yes, do it. And then I went to Germany, and we fabricated around the clock, six days a week. Those guys are pros, and they're hard workers. And so it would be dark when I'd get to the factory, and it would be dark when I'd leave the factory. And so I came back, and then it took a year. I went two months before coronavirus hit. So I was so lucky that I got to be there and do that. And they proceeded with the fabrication for another year. But what I want to say is they put one panel up, and I had to fly over for the engineer and the architect and myself to dial in the lighting that we would continue for the whole structure. And when I looked at that one panel, I felt like I had never seen it before. I felt like it was completely new to me. And who made that and whoever made that did a really good job. It was very exciting. It was theoretical but I wasn't really clear how the light was going to come through. In the architecture, it casts, projects shadows, like a slide projector, and then it also is reflective like a mirror. You know, it's the nature of glass to be like that. So sometimes you will see the art, but if clouds are floating by, clouds will be mirrored on the painting, and it It's very interactive. It plays with the architecture. And the architecture of the consolidated car rental parking is very modern and very um, freewheeling. And the kick to see it, because when you take a photograph, I took a photograph of a simple fish shape that has an opaque background in the airport, but the fish itself is transparent. And then I was on the plane, and I looked at my photo, And behind my installation was somebody's compressor that had all the parts, extension cords and stuff coming out of it. And that transparent window was what was inside my fish. So it brought a whole new, you know, there are other ones where people are walking by and they look like they are embedded, like it's a video that's going on behind the painting. So it's it's very interactive with the synchronicity or the happenstance of what's going on at that moment. It's super exciting. I just installed it. I'm still kind of processing what it does. Well, as you process, I'm sure you're also very proud to have accomplished this. The time frame been many years in the making. So the culmination of like the design, the blueprints, going to Germany to get it fabricated, and finally seeing it up. Well, thanks. I feel like I was just uh, a vehicle for some bigger idea. I feel like this piece addresses the history of glass. You know, glass is very loaded historically, 
and then also addressing kind of the history of art. I can, you know, I, I know who my influences are, and I can, this piece is kind of a, it's got a lot of 60s art. My assistant calls it Carol Bennett Photoshop. It's very old school graphic design done with exacto knives and scissors and very hands-on. Well, Carol, I mean, I'm just like, I'm seeing you there with your Elmer's glue, making circles. <laughs> yeah, well, it's. I think it was Dorothy Lang said that, you know, you have to kill a lot of your little darlings. 90% of what I made to put this together fell by the wayside. And there were just little moments of bright ideas that kind of all came together to make this composition. And that was quite artist Carol Bennett, the creator of the new glass installation, Apua Laulima. We will post photos so you can get an idea of the bold color and graphics of this immersive piece at the new car rental facility at the Honolulu Airport. Or go see it yourself. Support for the Backyard Quiz comes from Nareed Hawaii, which is committed to supporting nonprofits providing senior rental housing for veterans in the islands, such as EAH Housing. NareedHawaii.com. Earlier this month, a low pressure system called Kona Low developed northwest of Hawaii, dropping snow on the peaks of Mauna Kea and Mauna Loa. So it's shaping up to look like a white Christmas on the summits. But back here at sea level, we've been getting into the holiday spirit by delving into our music library of local favorites. This morning, we quizzed you about the creators of Number One Day of Christmas, the catchy lyrics about Tutu's gifts of one minor bird, two coconuts, three dried squid, and other distinctly local items that have entertained generations of Hawaii families since its inception in the late 1950s. Uh, the story goes that this pigeon virgin, uh, version of the 12 Days of Christmas was penned over a takeout meal of Chinese food, and the localized lyrics were bandied about and written down in 15 short minutes. And the three buddies who uh, dreamed up this, the local lyrics were none other than Eaton, Bob Magoon, Ed Kenny, and Gordon Phelps. Uh, and we had no winners today, but that's the quiz. And if you have an idea for one, send it to talkback at hawaiipublicradio.org. Oh, and what did Tutu give out on the 12th day? Number 12, day of Christmas, my Tutu give to me 12. 10 of vision, 11 missionary, 10 canopy, 9 corner boy, 8 ukulele, 7 ship for swimming, 6 ukulele, 7 fire, 8 in peace, 4 flower lay, 3 dry squid, 2 coconut, and 1 minor bird. delightful. <laughs> and that wraps it up for today. Tomorrow, we plan to hear more from the Hawaii Healthcare Association about preparing for more hospitalizations. What do you think about the Omicron surge? You can call our talkback line 808-792-8217. Email us at talkback at hawaiipublicradio.org. You can also connect with us on Facebook and Twitter. I'm Catherine Cruz. Join us tomorrow for more of the conversation.